This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson, Jason Lloyd, and Tom Reed. Yeah, I think it's it's obvious that we would try to compare when Andrew was here versus now, but to me, it's a totally different situation. Well, quite candidly, you've heard that before. We've been here before. We're introducing new people. We're restarting the Browns. It's all smiles and rainbows and butterflies. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast. I'm Zach Jackson. I'm joined today by Jason Lloyd. We were at the Andrew Berry press conference about 24 hours ago as we record this for you guys. Um, you know, the season is, is over uh, and the new phase kind of begins. So, um, Jason, let's just start with the press conference. Um, you know, I wrote more about the here and now for the Browns. They're finishing the coaching staff. Sounds like personnel staff will be filled out internally at least for now and they go about this work on as I mentioned a familiar process and um, you know the ultimate question that lingers out there is will this eventually ultimately possibly end up being different than all the times before who knows it's impossible to know. I, I don't blame anyone for being skeptical and for thinking they don't know what they're doing and we're going to be doing this again in 18 months. I don't blame you. If that's the way you feel, you have every right to feel that way. Uh, you know, I, I think professionally we have to give it a chance. We have to keep an open mind. It could work. You know, sooner or later, if you throw enough darts at the board, you're going to hit something. It's just incredible that Jimmy Haslam has such terrible aim to this point. Uh, but, you know, eventually, eventually they've got to figure it out. And I, I, you know, when we keep talking alignment, I can't help but feel like I, I don't know if this franchise has true alignment, but it has Jimmy alignment. Like this is the alignment Jimmy wanted. Yeah. So Jimmy got what Jimmy wanted. So if this doesn't work, this is on him. It's, it's always on him. It's ownership. And he'll find someone else to blame. He'll blame Paul DeBedester or someone else if it doesn't work. But for me, this is this is what he wanted. This he's obviously he's he's always had a high opinion of Paul DiBodesta. Obviously, he's always liked Andrew Barry a lot. They've been trying to bring him back since he left. Stefanski was the choice of Paul last year. They got everything they want now. No more excuses. No more anything. They've tried every other combination possible. Jimmy got what Jimmy wanted. If this doesn't work, it's all on him. Well, I hear everything you say from the side of professionally we have to give this a chance um from the side of this is what jimmy wanted but of all the questions that linger jason <laughs> the first one in listening to that is okay so they go six and ten and does jimmy change what he wants again <laughs> <laughs> well yeah yeah and you know that's the other thing last year was things were happening on the football field that you are not supposed to happen in the nfl and I can't imagine, I just can't imagine, even if they went six and 10, I can't imagine it would be in a worse six and 10 than what we saw. So from that, like someone should, should take the keys from Jimmy Haslam's hands and throw them in the lake and say, you can't do, you can't change anything for three years. You have to give this three years at the absolute bare minimum. And I would even argue four years which is like twice as long as anything he's ever done in his life since he became owner of the Browns. Um, is this like a Fantasyland podcast, or are we talking to <laughs> Cleveland Browns here? <laughs> I'm serious. 
three years. I know I, I know I live in this fantasy world and you and McManaman always make fun of me. And normally I'm wrong when I say stuff like this, but you have to give this three years minimum, absolute minimum. You can't make any changes, head coach, GM or otherwise for three years. Okay. So of all the lines and the theories and the rules that we've learned through, through this, I mean, definitely not all five and 11s are created equally. Right. But like, to me, this is a six and 10 team. Jason, it, it is. The schedule's much easier. Uh, the organization should be much better. And, and as I've mentioned before in this space and, and writing, I'm totally willing to listen to the concept that just by cleaning things up, just by playing a little bit smarter and being a little bit better coached, which means just like, you know, waking up on Sunday and making it to the stadium, that this can be better. <laughs> but I, I just think they're squarely in the middle in terms of that they, they have – the beginnings of a core. They don't have hardly anybody that's ever won. They have some holes on the roster. They have another new coaching staff. They have they play in a brutal division with two of the best organizations in all of sports when they're one of the worst organizations in all of sports. And the yep. other worst organization, one of the worst organizations in all of sports, is about to get Joe Burrow and brings back its coaching staff. So as I look around here and I look at a game in London being a possibility and playing the NFC East, and dealing with Lamar Jackson, like to me, and again, we, you know, March 18th or so, we'll, we'll know who's really on this team. To me, the Browns are six and 10. They're playing for third place and, and we'll see what happens. I, I mean, Baker could change that and miles dominating could change that, but they don't tackle. They have huge roster questions and they've never won. So to me, they're just six and 10. That's well, when you put it that way, geez. <laughs> No, but you know, I, I I can't argue that. No, I mean, listen, they need first of all, they need two new tackles. Can we agree on that? I don't yeah. care if you go through the draft, free agency, trade, whatever. You need two new tackles. Uh, defensively, you know what's going to happen with Joe Schober? What's going to happen with linebacker? The secondary, they need help. Can you count on Olivier Vernon to play more than eight games, nine games? I I, I don't know. You know, I think he's a difference maker when he's out there, maybe, but. On the other hand, I didn't really see him make a ton of plays last year, even well, when he was out there. Yeah, I mean, I think right now it's 50-50 that he's on the team. The yeah. guarantees are paid, but he's the highest paid player on the team. And so if you're Olivier Vernon and they come to you and say, we want you to stick around, but at half this number, you probably say, I, I'm not sure I'd like to be in Cleveland, right? Right, I mean, right. And that's before we even know you know, the scheme. Like We know that Joe Woods is going to get hired as D coordinator. That's been out there for weeks, but it's not official yet. And Joe Woods just got to Cleveland yesterday. So they haven't sat down and started saying, okay, this is how we want to play. And this is, with these guys, this is how we'll play. Because that ultimately will determine whether they pay him the 15 mil or not. Right? And and like you said, you're right. I thought Olivier Vernon in three or four games last year was really good. And then for half the season, he was hurt. But, I mean, this is the risk in taking on 28-year-old defensive linemen that make a lot of money. In some cases, their best football is behind them. It just is. So, I mean, yeah, uh, th- these are these are nitpicking details. Let, let's stick with Andrew Barry. Uh, you and I sat next to each other. We we talked right after, uh, and then again a little bit later. Super impressive guy, which is not a surprise. Um, you know, obviously Jimmy Haslam thinks he's he's the guy. Paul De Podesta thinks he's the guy. Uh, comes in with with a good reputation. Um, you know, respected by the analytics community and believes in that, but has come up the football way as a, as a guy who played college football, was going to chase his 
minuscule NFL dream before someone told him, why don't you come work for me? Let's be smart about this. Um, yeah. Two degrees in four years from Harvard could do anything he wants, and he's chosen football. Uh, he chose to come back to this organization, an organization he knows better than anybody. Right? He was in it um, for for three years minus the last 11 months. Uh, I know how this works. When guys go away, they stay close to the organization too. He knows the roster. So I think a lot works in his favor, but um, and I don't think Jimmy did this on purpose. I think Jimmy pointed out, like, there's going to be growing pains here. We're going to stick yeah. with them. <laughs> and, and, again, it's just what lingers. To me, it's not will Andrew Barry eventually do good things for the Browns. It's will Andrew Barry do enough great things for the Browns and will the Browns stick with him while they try to get to that point. Are you surprised? Knowing what he knows about this organization, knowing how dysfunctional it is, are you surprised he chose to came back to come back? And what does that say either about him or about the organization? Well, you know, going through the process, I, I knew he was the top choice. Um, he didn't have to take the job. You know, the fact that he ultimately did with the fancy title, with the five-year contract, told, tells me that the Browns made him an offer that he could not refuse. Right? Is it as simple as that? Um, Just pay him enough? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, pay him enough. Give him the title. Give him the authority that he's Because he could get that able. elsewhere, right? Yeah, but... You don't know that. I mean, Carolina wanted to interview him basically for their number two job, GM in waiting, right, um, to an extent. That wasn't yeah. going to be his official title. Uh, you know, in Philly, he was essentially number three. He was doing some different things. He obviously respects that guy, Howie Roseman, who's done a great job and built a great organization there. There wasn't much upward movement. Uh, you know, being that young, being that bright, he was always going to be on lists. But, That's what I'm saying. He had his whole life in front of him. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think you can fairly say it reflects a bit of faith in Haslam and DePodesta. Yes. I think you can always say that because, you know, like they, they've hired some B and C list guys, right? But they've also hired some perceived A list guys through the years, and it hasn't worked either. So there's always a little bit of faith in the organization, but I think you can read it as he, as he has faith in, in this group. What uh, what did you make of Jimmy Haslam's answer regarding Kareem Hunt? Well, um, to me, I just roll my eyes at all of that stuff because the Brown. I mean, none of this is new for Kareem Hunt. It wasn't just the one incident, right? Like the Chiefs yeah. knew about that incident. They cut him for lying about it. Um, other yeah. inc- incidents were investigated. Ultimately, the NFL made its ruling. Ultimately, the Haslam signed off on signing Kareem Hunt. So, um, you know, I thought it was Jimmy just trying to be strong. I, I don't believe it for one second. I don't think they're cutting Kareem Hunt. I don't – or moving on from him, he's a restricted free agent. I don't think they should. And and to me, to tell me that Kareem Hunt has to do better, that he's on zero tolerance, is, is flat-out crap that you're throwing right. at people. Because it, it's not that, or, or he would already be gone. But he did seem – Jimmy did seem a lot stronger – and saying Odell's going to be part of this moving forward than he was about Kareem. He seemed to leave himself a little bit more wiggle room with Kareem, or did I misread that? Um, yeah, no, I, I think I know what you're saying. However, his answer was completely different than Stefanski and Barry's answers. Barry was right down the middle. Stefanski was, yeah, we want him. We'll lay out. We'll continue to do this, and, and we hope it works. And Jimmy was kind of like, oh, he absolutely has to be better. We're not going to stand for that. So, yeah. um. You know, it's two different situations, right? O- Odell got Odell had an arrest warrant that went away. Odell acted like a moron. 
Um, bigger picture, Odell's never been in trouble. Odell's just had maintenance, right? You have to yeah. decide, determine whether you want this. Kareem has yeah, always been in trouble, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Legally and whatever. Um, I think it's pretty clear that last year Kareem did the work to get back. The NFL moving up the reinstatement, uh, him maintaining this this low-key demeanor and playing a role uh, for the Browns and earning – his way back, earning a chance to do further. And then all of a sudden, three weeks into the offseason, this pops up. So uh, there, there are completely different situations. The Browns have a choice to make on how to handle Kareem's situation. And for the cost of a third-round tender, they can keep Kareem Hunt for one more year and keep him away from everyone else. To move on from Odell Beckham, they would have to have a suitor. They would have to take a lot less than he's worth, and they would have to hope like heck that Odell's be- best days are behind him. And we don't know that for sure. We know last yeah. year was a disaster on many levels. But this is a guy that we've seen produce at a high, high level who still theoretically should be in the prime of his career, specifically if he's healthy. So I just I ahead. just wonder I, I just wonder if what what different conversation are we having? Is it a different conversation? Maybe the answer is no. If if the officer arrested Kareem, how much different does this look? Because he easily could have and I could argue should have been arrested and he wasn't not even so much for the pot, but, you know, with the open container and everything else. How much different of a of a conversation are we having right now, or the Browns having right now, if that officer who was a huge Browns fan decided to arrest Kareem? Yeah, I haven't thought of it that way, and I get what you're saying. However, in today's court of TMZ, like the public has arrested him, right? Officer yeah. so and so didn't. Um, when you put that in the realm of other things that he's been investigated for, but not necessarily arrested for, things that he shouldn't be near things that he's admitting to having in his car, like I'm not sure the distinction matters all that much. Is that okay. fair? Even with, even with the league? Well, see, that, that, that's where the gray area is because the league has this personal conduct policy because it wants to say it's on top of these things, but there yeah. is no uniformity. There is no consistency. The league almost kind of uses it to act like it cares, right? Or to occasionally slap people on the wrist when – to put the to put the league cuffs on him when the cop didn't, right? Yeah. I think if yeah. you ask ten people right now, Jason, how will the league react to Kareem Hunt? I think a couple of them would say possibility of a multi-game suspension or telling him, you know, giving the Browns indications that they shouldn't go down the road. I think a couple people would say one game suspension. I think a couple people would say absolutely nothing. I don't think anyone knows until the league has to rule on something like that. All right, Jason. Um if you're Andrew Barry and Paul De Podesta and Kevin Stefanski, what are you doing with with Hunt and Beckham? Uh, I I would keep Odell, but I understand if they spend time enough with him this offseason and come to the conclusion we can't win with this guy, we have to move on from him. I would understand that and. You know, I, I I said this before. I can't remember if I said it on our podcast or not. But last year, I dismissed OTAs. I thought it was silly, all that was being made of it. I'm not dismissing it anymore. I was wrong. He should have been there last year. He needs to be there this year. I don't expect him to be there. And I think that's going to go a long way in telling us where he's at and how committed he is. And I know that he says he's getting his body right. and He's doing this and he's doing that. And he's working out on his own. But it's another new coach. It's another new system. And you're coming off one of the worst years of your career, your worst season when you were healthy the whole year, 
I think it would go a long way in showing being a good faith measure if he was in Berea for OTAs. And to me, that's going to go a long way, like I said, in determining how committed he is. Kareem, Kareem is tough. Uh, I don't think he's done anything like, to, you know, I've said this before. The weed thing to me is silly. I think pot should be legalized. Marijuana should be legalized across the country. It's silly that it's legal in some states and illegal in others. And everybody, you know, you're talking about the leak substance abuse policy. Well, it's the same thing here. Everybody plays by their own rules when it comes to the marijuana. And so I, I, I'm not going to say cut them because of that. But if you are, if, if you, you're the ones who put the self, who put yourselves up and said he's on a zero tolerance and he's had two instances that we know of, at least the one with his, with his boy, right after he got, right after he was signed here. And now this, that to me is not zero tolerance. So if you're going to, if you're just going to prove that you're a fraud and you're not going to say what you, what you mean and mean what you say, you know, I think it puts him in a tough spot. Obviously this is a, a much better team with Kareem Hunt on it. And I think, you know, with Kevin Stefanski, he could come up with a plan for Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. I, you know, we we gave credit to to Freddie Kitchens for figuring out how to use both of them, and I still think that there's a lot more room there for growth. So, you know, am I talking out both sides of my mouth? Yeah, maybe I am. And this is kind of the aggravating part of of Kareem and 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 what he brings. And can he really stay out of trouble? You know, I said all last year I wasn't convinced he was ever going to suit up for the Browns. I didn't think that he could that he could stay clean long enough to. And he proved me wrong, and he did. And now here we are again. So I think that I would give them both just being the talents that they are. And I hate saying this because they did this with Josh Gordon time after time after time after time. But I do think I would try to keep both of them on, try to bring them both in. But if they don't, if they choose otherwise, I'm not going to knock them for it because I get it. Well, a couple things I want to say here. I'm fairly confident in this. Um, if the Browns non-tender Kareem Hunt on March 13th, um, 10 teams are going to call his agent the first hour. Yep. Okay, so you can't make your decisions on that. And we saw last year that the Browns had a lot of their own misses that kept them from maybe competing with other teams better, right? And it started at the, at the big desk, and it went all the way down into all, all sides of the locker room. Right? Yep. And I totally hear what you're saying about OTAs. And I totally agree that Odell needs to be there more for the team building concept. But this dwelling on the little things, the OTAs is such a minor, minor phase of everything. I mean, that it, it, it's it's not. Do you think the good teams give a shit about the OTAs? They don't. No, but no, <laughs> the Browns aren't a good team. No, you're right. But I ju- I have to admit that I cringed yesterday when it was brought up to the general manager. Like, there's a Super Bowl parade today, okay? And in Cleveland, we're worried about who might be at voluntary OTAs in three months. Like, that shows the gap. That's where I was last year. That's exactly where I was last year. I'm like, do you think OTAs have anything to do with a route he's going to run in September and October? No. But I just think it sends a message of, I'm committed, I'm in, let's do this. Yes. I, I, I cannot argue with that one bit. I would just say this. I have been staunchly that the Browns need more guys that football is the most important thing in their lives. And a few days in May can go go far towards that perception, whether it's true or not. But that's never going to be the case for Odell. So why dance around it? If Odell needs to be somewhere else to get his body ready, that's the biggest thing. He has to be, You have to have guys and you have to have your guys. And the whole scope of this draft thing 
where teams devote millions and millions of dollars and thousands of hours to finding super freaks who can do things like come off the edge and black guys coming off the edge and cover this ground in X amount of time. A few practices in May really don't mean shit. You're just not going to change my opinion on that. But that being said, the Browns do need more adults, more commitment. But that that to me, it just becomes like this outside thing. And we know the Browns are always trying to put up, like, you know, that's all they're ever doing is is outside things like we got this right. And and until they have enough good players and until they let guys do their jobs and until they actually win a few games, right, like we know that's not true. <laughs> they haven't made up. Would you, if they put Odell on the market right now, what could they get for him? A third round pick. That's it. That's it. I know people have argued with me on this, but he had the injury. He has the baggage, and he makes a crap ton of money. It is a great receiver draft. There, I, I just do not see a team giving up more than a third-round pick. Well, if that's the best they can, if that's the best they can do, then 100% I'm bringing him back. He's worth a hell of a lot more than a third-round pick. Yeah. Well, I just, I mean, especially with this group making the trade, you're always going to see some some any trade you're going to see late rounders exchanged um, and getting to a certain value. But to me, the baseline and the near ceiling is a third-round pick if they were to deal Odell Beckham today or next month. That is stunning when you think about what they gave up for him 12 months ago, which at the time we thought was not a lot. And I thought I thought was not a lot. I'll be the first to admit that. They got Odell Beckham for next to nothing. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I was saying, too, give him, give him two first-round picks. Give him two ones. He's worth it. And a year later, he's telling me he's going to get a third-round pick for him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you might be able to get a late two if you're willing to give something back, or if you're wow. willing to make it a trade where you're doing some other wheeling and dealing. But that's uncommon. I mean, even last year, it ended up being processed as one huge trade with five guys on one side, or or five, you know, five things assets on right. one side. But it it was really it was it was a separate trade that because both of them were consummated before the league year officially began it ended up getting processed as one so that to me is something that it would be like the Raiders have three thirds so to me it would be flat out one of those potentially you know doing another swap but but teams are hesitant to do that Jason when when there's a name player involved because they know perception wise that that backup safety that you throw in there and and then you know their team throws a six or something as well that name is always tied to that trade yeah, and, they, and that that kind of follows them. So in big name trades, it's generally one pick or two picks or one player for one player. You see a lot of hesitation in in you know going down the road elsewhere. Can I ask you something non Browns that I just thought of? Yeah. What do you think John Dorsey and Kareem Hunt were thinking watching the Super Bowl? Well, to me, like the the chilling part of the Kareem Hunt thing was I'm supposed to be playing in the Super Bowl. This week. Right, right. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of wonder where he is mentally, emotionally. He sounded depressed. I mean, I'm I don't want to play psych psychologist, sure. but he sounded like he was having a really hard time with that. Like I should be playing in the Super Bowl and look where I am. Yeah. No, I I, I agree with you. Uh, I don't know that there's any other way to read that. Um, you know, as for John Dorsey, it's. <laughs> I, I remain stunned that John Dorsey is not the um, GM of the Cleveland Browns as we record this 
as we go through the process. Uh, you know, this summer will be three summers since the Chiefs moved on from him. I think in a way he had probably made peace with that, you know, to watch a team that he put together or helped put together um, that very much has his stamp on it, regardless of who you think actually drafted Pat Mahomes. Right. And I know various things got out there. Uh, I'm sure there were a lot of emotions because that's what you do in this game as you play to get to that that big game. So uh, it will be interesting to see John Dorsey's next move. And I thought it was one of the real interesting things of the Andrew Berry press conference was that he went out of his way to thank John Dorsey, which I thought was the right thing to do. But then in describing his background and the people he's worked for, and he was like, Dorsey's a scout scout. And that's yep. what he is. And, and people in Kansas City, remember as the Browns thing started to unfold, said he made some mistakes. He's, he's maybe not cut out for being the overall leader. Um, we know at some point during last year's mess, Paul DePodesta got the owner's ear, right? And the conversation two days after the season was you can stay on in a different role. And John Dorsey was like, no thanks. Give me my money. No. I'm out of here, right? Yeah, I don't blame him for that. <laughs> I don't blame him for that. But that that's a fascinating question. And that is something that I would love to be able to ask John Dorsey. Um, so there's there's a policy, Jason, when the Browns move on from employees, and I don't know if this is league-wide or just the Browns, they often pay for those employees to go to the Senior Bowl and or the Combine so they can mingle and network in hopes of getting another job. And when I made my connecting flight in Charlotte Airport to get to Mobile, because it's not easy to get to Mobile no matter where you're coming from, uh, and I went down to the right gate, all of John Dorsey's guys with the Browns were there. And I was wow. crushed not to see John Dorsey on that flight as well. Because yeah. not that I think that he would have answered any questions for me specifically on the record, but I would have loved the chance. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I, I would have loved that. So, um, you know, saw those guys there. And then the top three ranking of those guys a week later were fired. And they knew it. Um, you know, to me, it, it was it was would have been unfair for me to report where they were all sitting and who they were sitting with at the senior bowl, because I don't really know. And, and guys have their, their right to sit wherever they want in a football stadium watching a practice. Right. But it was pretty clear to me from body language, they weren't there working for the Browns. And it's just pretty clear. I mean, this is how this goes. And that's why I wrote this and, and maybe one of the few quotes that I double noted yesterday as Andrew Barry was making it of these players are all Browns players. It doesn't matter where you came from. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and call Andrew Barry a liar, but history says that's a flat-out lie, right? Yep. All right, Zach, let's get out of here. Uh, where do we go from here? What's the what's the next step moves with, with this front office? Now that everyone is lined up, obviously uh, the combine is fast approaching, the draft follows. What, what should we look for? What are the key moves that this regime has to deal with first? Well, to me, it's it's the Olivier Vernon, the Christian Kirksey, uh, the Chris Hubbard, um, guys on your team that um, you know have have money left, make make significant money that probably haven't been worth it or might not be worth it. So it's getting this coaching staff together, deciding who fits what scheme. We know they're probably going to have two new offensive tackles. Jason um, having a rookie offensive tackle is always taking a risk. Um, yeah. Not having any linebackers and needing to rebuild safety, I don't know. I mean, I, I would think if you want to move on a guy like Schobert, you'd like to get that done before free agency. I think the longer it goes, the less likely it is he comes back. 
Okay, so you move on from those linebackers. You know, who's next? That These are great questions. So right around combine time is generally when teams let veterans know that they're not in their plans, that they're going to get a chance to move on. And then when they get to the combine, they start hint, hint, nudge, nudge to the agents. Hey, we're going to be in the market for your guy from the outside, you know, in a few weeks when that opens. Well, I'm interested to see how this goes. I'm interested to see how long they're here. Uh, I'm interested to see if the Browns can actually act like adults and, and put a professional organization on the field. And I don't, I don't fault anyone who believes we're going to be back here doing this again in 12 to 18 months. I don't blame you. But hopefully, hopefully, maybe this time they figured it out. Yeah, we'll see. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, we probably won't have a podcast every week, but the Combine is at the end of the month. I'll be there. I think Jason will be there. Um, we will keep yep. you informed on, on major things, and, and we'll analyze them. We have some exciting stories uh, we've been working on, so thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for listening. And uh, we don't know when, but we'll talk to you kind of soon.